I'm Pearl Lim, your host for the Rebel Curiosities Podcast. I interview experts from different fields to understand how they harness the power of curiosity in the way they think, to being who they are, and in driving what they do. They are the curious rebels who rethink the status quo and are likely to have chosen unconventional paths than follow the one laid out for them. Matthew Murray is a curious guy. In fact, he is so curious about things around him and the way we learn and work that he pursued the research of science and psychology in curiosity. These days, Matt is the executive director of What If Curiosity, a consultancy focused on developing and driving curiosity-based thinking in the workplace. And he's also the author of eight science books on curiosity. We discussed the explosion of ChatGPT into the world since November 2022, how this changes the way we think about AI learning, and how this could potentially transform people working in business, from sales to marketing and HR. He talks about the curiosity quotient, how there are four different personality types in the attitude towards curiosity, and how to bring out the best in each by harnessing different tools. This is the Rebel Curiosities Podcast. What were you like growing up and, you know, how did you end up with such a curious mind? Um, I came from like a small town in the middle of the country where everything's kind of boring, right? And from there, I was always, because of that, I was always curious what what was outside of there, right? What, what the rest of the world was like, right? Um, so I, I grew up in a, you know, kind of maybe a more isolated place. And that drove my curiosity from a young age, always wondering, you know, what, what else is out there? And then um, if it's not just where I'm from that started driving my curiosity, I would blame my parents as well. So they were both public school teachers. You know, so my whole life, the, the entire way I kind of really viewed the world or understood the world was from the, the viewpoint of a public school teacher, which is kind of interesting. I've learned later on in life that there's more than that view to the world. But one of the things they instilled in me was the, the importance of education, right? Like, like, you know, there's a lot of things you can't control in life, you can't control in the world, but you can control your education. And with a good education, you, the world opens up to you. And then um, from there, it's like, well, how do you get a good education? And I found curiosity was the key. So I found that in a lot of ways, this, this curiosity was the way to start bringing things together. Because um, I, I always tell people, I, didn't, I never felt like I was super intelligent growing up, but I was insatiably curious. Like I would, I, I tell stories about waking up in the morning on Saturdays. Like, you know, I'm, I'm an old man, so this is before the internet. And, and I would get up, my favorite thing to do was to get up and go to the encyclopedias. And if you're old enough to remember encyclopedias, right, it's like the entire alphabet of books. And I would just grab one at random and open it and just pick out an entry and read about whatever it was. And then something in that little entry would, would make me curious about something else. And I'd go search for it right in the encyclopedias. So I developed this kind of habit of, of getting curious, discovery, and then you know reward. And that really started feeding my curiosity where it wasn't just for learning or it wasn't just because you know my parents said it was good for me, but it made me feel good. It's it almost like it, it was selfish. Like it felt good to be curious, right? There, it had its own purpose. Rural Missouri, I went on to study abroad in Spain in my you know in, in university. I went on to be a volunteer in the Peace Corps in, in uh, Macedonia and Honduras. I, I then moved to New York City and then I moved to South Korea for a few years. And it was all driven. It wasn't driven by like, hey, where can I make the most money or even where can I advance my career the most? But it was, it was really just constantly chasing this, this curiosity. Yeah. 
That's that's really fascinating, and you know, thank you for that because there's so much to unpack there. When you described, um, you know, how how you loved to just pick up a topic and learn about it, you know, it sounds very innate and natural, and a process that you enjoy, which is a you know stark difference to how I see education as a system per se. Your your childhood growing up in such an environment actually nurtured that, you know, rather than than blunted it. Oh. A hundred percent. In fact, I would say to this day, my father, the things he still makes fun of me about to, or teases me about are the things that I failed to be curious about when I was younger. It's like, because we were supposed to be curious about everything and all this, but if there is something I wasn't quite, and it's, it's funny because I wasn't, he was a science teacher. So I was like, I was like, I don't, I'm not interested in science. I don't care about science. So, you know, it's boring and all this stuff. So he always wanted me and I was never curious or interested. And I don't know why, but now that I got older, I, I write science books for children, right? I, I work with science all the time. It's like, I do all this work in science and I have this like, it was like a delayed curiosity, but now I, I have this. So it is kind of funny that there was that kind of nurturing to the point of almost absurdity that, that we should be curious about everything. Now to your earlier point, this isn't my experience in the classroom. <laughs> this isn't my experience with education at all. In fact, what I described with my 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 experience with my parents is the polar opposite of what I experienced. And and because of that that disconnect between what I saw my parents doing as professional educators and what I experienced as a student is one of the motivating factors for me to get into education and for me to, you know, the the stuff I do now while I'm not, I don't only work with educators. For the first many years I, I pretty much only worked with educators because that's where I saw the need the most. It is a big topic as well. You know, um, a lot of educators and teachers these days are tired. It's an emergency. I, I really think so. Because the thing is, is, is we see it here in the United States too, that there's, there's, and it's not just a lot of educators leaving the profession. Oftentimes it's our best educators leaving the profession. And this is going to provide other challenges because those roles will be filled, but they'll be filled by people who, and I, I, I'm going to be careful. I don't want to be overly judgmental. Because I, I don't want to say that they're, they're necessarily going to be bad educators or teachers. They could develop and become good ones. But they're more than likely than not, they're not going to be super passionate educators, right? You know, this, like, like the ones who's like from a young age or, or you know, have a very specific motivating factor that got them into the career, you know, those are going to be gone. You know, you're just going to get kind of, uh, we call them like clock punchers. Like, you know, I check in at the right time and I leave at the right time. No extra stuff. Just like I did my job. Right. And, and our children need that better than that, you know, and, and it's, and again, I'm biased, <laughs> but I look from a problem solving or even not just problem solving, but from an innovation standpoint is if you can attack the, the, you know, kind of the base of something, you know, that, that you're going to have greater success going forward. And in this case, if you can educate, you know, people how to, not, not, a, not what to think, you know, it's cliche, not what to think, but how to think. If you can start that at a young age, the impact, you know, if you teach a fifth grader how to think with their curiosity and, you know, use the curiosity-based thinking and all of this, it's not necessarily that that's going to make them a remarkable sixth grader, but it could make them an awesome adult. I, I definitely agree with what you said. It's not just getting them how to think as well. I think it's also getting them to want to think. For children, you know, like you said, if the ultimate outcome and goal are test goals, then, you know, we can just get them to memorize everything. And as the world progresses, there's less and less a need for that. And this is where we probably jump to the next topic because of ChatGPT. 
you're like reading my mind because my, I'm already like taking notes going, all right, this is where we get into. It's, it's, the, revolu- it's the revolution we've all wanted for education. I think, um, you know, I think I had mentioned with you before, it's, uh, traditional education is extinct. It went extinct November, tw- November 30th, 2022. And now it's just a matter of how long it takes everybody to recognize that, you know? Um, because like what you're just saying about, about, you know, we can teach people just to remember what to think and memorize and all that. Th- that's now completely obsolete. Between what we have with Google, Wikipedia, and now ChatGPT, uh, and other, you know, uh, uh, language models, not just ChatGPT, you know, there, there, there's Google's got one now, Bean's got one, there's going to be more and more that all of these things are, are going to be obsolete. There's so much, and again, they keep comparing it to the calculator and other devices, but if, if done properly with these technology, with these tools will allow us to do is not to automate or replace learning or human thinking. It will allow us to accelerate it. And that's why I'm super excited. Now, I understand the, the dangers. I understand there's all of this, but when you're curious, like when you're when you're operating from a point of curiosity, there's there's something to it that 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 the, the dangers are mitigated, right? Because curiosity isn't just an energy; it's a guide. And if we can use these tools for education to to become not just you know the answer providers that everybody thinks that they're the answer providers, but I don't look at them like that way. These are the things that allow us to start every learning experience from a point of individual curiosity. So we talk about personalized medicine. We talk about like the personalized experience on your social media algorithm and everything else. What these tools will allow us to do is personalize learning to the individual so that even if there's 30 students that have to learn the same lesson about geometry, we can all start from a different point. Meaning we all have to, we all have to end up in the same destination. But we can all have a different starting point. And that starting point can be whatever each person is curious about at that exact moment. And then by doing that, again, there's science to back. There's, it's not just, you know, psychological. Neuro, it, it, this goes down to chemicals that your brain releases when you're curious, that we can encourage not only deeper learning, more effective learning, but lifelong, you know, long-term learning just by starting these learning experiences from points of individual curiosity. And that's what things like chat GPT are going to allow us to do. Now, again, that's the technology. There's always the human element. Now that, you know, I mean, you can have, you can have the ingredients for the cake and you still need the, the cook to, to make it and put it in the oven. Right? So what I'm really curious about is how are we going to work on this disconnect between this technology that is over here and then the, the teachers and educators in the classroom because somebody needs to, there needs to be some collaboration. There needs, so I'm hoping that, that and I'm already doing some of this, but I'm, I'm excited to see how we can facilitate those conversations so that instead of people shouting at each other saying, you know, ban this or do that or don't do that, that there's some sort of concerted effort on how we can best utilize these tools. And I think, you know, of course I'm biased, but my approach is how do we use a curiosity-based thinking approach? So that when we access these tools, we're not just doing it randomly or doing it in a way to replace our own thinking, but a way to operate from a point of curiosity and whenever possible, a personal curiosity to develop personal momentum and, 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 and deeper learning and thinking and action. People who are just used to the previous way of learning, a little bit more resistant to it. Yeah. And, and this is true as well. I was reflecting with a friend. I, I was a university professor. 10 years ago or so, you know, maybe even longer. And I remember, and it was around the same time, around 2008, 2009, yeah. So, 
when things like YouTube and Wikipedia and even to some degree Google were just emerging. And I remember being like eating lunch with other professors and stuff and them just like, we have a no YouTube policy or no Wikipedia policy or no, you know, I deny this in my class. And like, and like I was Googling, it gave me the most ridiculous answer. I can't believe this. Ha ha, this technology is so stupid or dumb or whatever. And nowadays I'm still in touch with a lot of them. And you know, my wife went to medical school. And her entire medical school was done with YouTube and Wikipedia. And I talked to, to you know, professors who are in universities now. And it's like, I ask, I tell my students to cite Wikipedia. I give them, you know, lectures on YouTube, all of this stuff. And what's interesting, we're just having another one of those moments, right? We're having something that's that profound. But what's, what's interesting, which I'm, I'm fascinated about, is rarely in human history have two technologies that, that have been this profound have they have occurred in such short space of time, right? So for example, like the distance between the telephone and, and the television, by the time the television came about, the people who were around when the first telephones were around were already old and kind of like, you know, not around and anything else. But we have people now who have very vivid memories of how Google and YouTube and Wikipedia and these other things changed the way we learn and communicate. And even what email did. I remember times before email, right? And I have hope for humanity, right? Instead of taking the same approach we took to these, because I remember there was such great resistance to all of these things. And I, it, I have hope that instead of having this period of resistance and even you know people maybe who didn't have people in their best interest capitalizing at the beginning and this kind of mess at the I, maybe we can learn from the past and and get more out of this technology because we realize not only that it's changing the way we do things, but how it can, and we can all get on early and help kind of direct it. Yeah. So with chat GPT advancements, you know, I think it really changes the way we look at learning because it's not so much of learning hard facts and you know technical knowledge, but it's how. And and I think in the workplace that changes things as well. More and more, it's, it's becoming clearer that uh, people should be focusing on the other type of skill sets, whether it's the soft skills, the critical thinking. No, it's, it's a, in fact, I, I do a lot of work with uh, startups as well, mentoring and, do, and and one of them I'm working with is really cool. They're doing very much what you're talking about with these soft skills and looking for, they've, they've identified um, a, a big problem is this knowledge gap that people get hired and they, they get onboarded and they take all the tests and they get ready for their work. And then over time, the knowledge gap starts to increase and they don't even realize it. And it's just, these, anyway, so to your point, that, that's 100% where I think the future of business is gonna be is these, these soft skills and these, these non-robotic, these non-AI things. So this is, in many ways, I get it, again, I, I joke around, I'm not like a glass is half full, I'm a glass is three quarters full, I'm a weird kind of a super optimist. But I see this as the, these AI tools is not as a way that like is tearing down humanity and making us obsolete. I see this as, as like a, almost a rebirth of humanity. This is like, like if we can get rid of all of these, like the things that this AI is replacing are the things we didn't want to do in the first place, right? Not from, from a student point, it's, it's, it's the boring five paragraph essay. And here's the other secret for teachers. ChatGPT also grades these papers and these essays and these homeworks that you do. So everybody's afraid about, yeah, everybody's afraid about students using it. Guess what? Teachers, you can cheat too using ChatGPT. It, but but it'll create it'll create the 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 syllabus. It'll create the learning. It'll create all the the lesson plan if you want to. All these things, 
And that's just from the education standpoint, from a, you know, from an industry standpoint, you know, follow up emails, you know, prospecting emails, like all of these other things that you, you have to do. And even if you automate them, there's still a hassle or whatever else you can all done now. And then what you do, it's not that now you just have, you know, you only go to work one day a week and you don't learn anything. You don't No, you just learn better stuff. No, you get more done at work, right? You, you have, who knows, maybe instead of an eight day you know, eight hour day, you, you can now have a five hour day because you can compact more in a short amount of time, right? Maybe your sales go up X percent and you can do whatever else. It doesn't replace humans, but a lot, it, it, who knows, maybe you innovate a new position, you innovate a new product or service. There's all kinds of things. I I see this as a, as a, as, as, as a as an opportunity for human flourishing like we haven't seen in, in centuries, if, if not more. I'm really excited about what this is going to do for for these soft skills that you that you mentioned. I'm with you on that. I, I think ChatGPT actually forced us to do less busy work. You know, technology like ChatGPT would force us to relook and rethink what we do at work. And I think that space is uncomfortable. Well, especially, I'm sorry to interrupt, but especially for, I'm whispering, like they may hear this. I hope they hear it, but especially for upper management, right? And this is what I found in, in education, I think I mentioned before, like, man, I curiosity-based thinking, man, students, no problem. Teachers, no problem. Principals, little cautious, right? <laughs> Superintendents, pump the brakes, slow down, right? And and I'm not as much sure, and I wonder if like in, in industry as well, with some of this stuff, it's like the the, the, the workers are going to be all over it. Maybe the higher up the ladder you go, they're, and, it's, and it's not that they, they have responsibility, so that's where the fear comes. But I, I want to be an agent. I want to be helpful to, to, to let them know that they ha- they don't have to fear quite as much, right? Really, it should open up opportunities for everybody. I just, but I think that's where the bottleneck's going to be, where the resistance is going to be. Isn't your day-to-day worker who's threatened to be replaced, who you would think would be the most resistant? I think it's going to be higher up the, the chain, right? And again, I'm, this is, I could be wrong, but that's what my prediction is, yeah. In your experience, is curiosity-based thinking easier to inculcate and and this might be a hard question to answer is curiosity based thinking you know easier or harder to inculcate in an academic uh, education environment or in a corporate organization it's a great question now getting into this I, my hypothesis was it would be so much easier in education and so much more difficult in say industry or you know corporations and what i've been finding is it's probably equal. <laughs> it's, it's, it, so which means I was wrong. Meaning, meaning, it's it, it it's been much more challenging to get into education than I thought. Um, again, not that it's been impossible, but it's also been the breakdown I described. It, it's been very much to get students, to get teachers. Um, it's been incredibly successful, but to move it beyond, you know, to get to that principal and higher up has been way more challenging than, and again, there's been some success, but way more challenging than I anticipated. And the other side, like, again, I, you know, my background is in education and, you know, university professor. So I had very, very black, white stereotypes about their business world. And, you know, and I was like, oh, these are just, they're, you know, they're not creative thinkers. They're not interested. They're very, you know, boring and kind of by the book. And I've been blown away with how many, again, not everybody, but I've been blown away with how many people in industry have come out and 
and not only gotten what I'm doing with curiosity based thinking, but actually have added to it, you know, have, have taught me, it's like, Oh, wow, I see what you, you know, I mean, have, have really become partners in, in a lot of ways to help me better understand how it applies. And, and others have created, you know, different ways to measure curiosity and, and, and different things. So we're not completely the first on this, but where we are the first is we've been able to take the, the five dimensions. So there's uh, the latest research it says there's five different dimensions to curiosity. And then from those five dimensions, there's four unique personality profiles that we have when we're curious. So when you're curious, you know, these different dimensions like joyous expression and deprivation sensitivity and, you know, it, it's distress tolerance and all these real positive attributes are, are happening. But then depending on who we are and what we're being curious about, we are either fascinated, an empathizer, a problem solver, or an avoider. And those are the four different personal the curiosity personalities, but fascinated being the highest and, and, and avoider being the lowest. And then what happens in the middle here, well, most of us, it's kind of like a bell curve, right? And most of us are in the middle and the empathizer and problem solver, meaning that we're curious, but there's something that's holding us back from being fascinated. And it could be from the problem solver side. Sometimes it's that, and this is where a lot of engineers fall into. They're always solving the problem, but they don't always want to ask what, you know, a person, how, what they think about it or, or right. And then there's the, so, so they would fit under the problem solving. They need to work on their empathy a little more to move them to this fascinated side, right? And then the empathizers are the people that are really curious about other people and what they're thinking. But a lot of times they're introverted. So they're not quite as extroverted. And when something needs to be done, maybe they're a little risk averse. They'll say, right? And again, these aren't, these aren't necessarily negative because the only real negative is the avoider. These are the people who's like, oh no, I don't want to do anything new. It's like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to change. I don't want to, yeah. But what's, why this is helpful is because if you know where you are in these personality profiles, one, you can, you can match people together. So you can create a team of fascinated empathizers and, and, pro, and, and problem solvers so that they can work together. And by, by, by working together, you move everybody into this fascinated space so that because you don't want to put all fascinated together and all problem solvers together and all that, right? Because then they just kind of stay there and they, but, but you can better organize teams and everything else. But by understanding this, you can also understand when it's time to do something about one of these things. Hey, look, I'm a problem solver, so I got to focus on listening to others. Do you think optimistic people are more curious by nature just because of what you have described? There's a direct, well, and that's why I want people to be to be curious because it's one of the core, it's one of the side effects of curiosity is, and it's not just optimistic, it's optimistic like the the, the different dimensions, joyous expression is one of the dimensions of curiosity, distress tolerance when something's going crazy, you, you don't freak out and you can kind of relax and accept it, right? The tolerance of others, like these are, I'm not making this stuff up. These are the dimensions of curiosity. So a hundred percent, it's. I can't imagine being curious and not being optimistic. It, it, it's it's a side effect. It's it's a byproduct of curiosity. Definitely, yeah. And it's difficult to tell people, oh, cheer up. I, I, anytime someone tells me to cheer up, I want to slap them in the face, right? It's like the last thing you want, right? It does because it makes you feel guilty. It's like, well, I should be, but I'm not, and all of this. But if you can get people to be to be curious, then it then it happens, yeah. The other part that I wanted to touch on was um, kind of where you covered ChatGPT in in specific references to how this new tool actually changed the way we work in sales, marketing, you know, in HR where we hire new talent. 
Sure. And, and again, this is still all developing. And the two, there's two main areas my mind goes immediately. And one, as we touched on a lot earlier, is getting rid of the busy work, right? Anything that you can potentially streamline. I imagine a lot in marketing and even HR, there's a lot of just kind of standard processes that you get up and try to automate as much as possible. And I'm thinking in a lot of ways, this can, you know, ChatGPT will help you do that even more so, right? Too. And, and the idea is, first of all, use it to find a way to free up time, right? Use it, find a way to automate some of your busy work and find a way to add an hour or two in your day. I think that's the first thing is one, it's going to help people find a way if done correctly to add or find an additional hour or two in their day that they previously didn't have. And in some ways that might just let you relax a little more or, or help you meet deadlines without such a rush. And because you're not rushing as much, you can produce more or whatever else. So I think on, on one hand, that's going to be where it's going to be really helpful. The other's a little trickier, but I think the real promise is, I'm trying to think if I, if I can explain it well. So the way it's going to revolutionize these, in, not, not even industries, but these sectors, these professions, is it, I'm trying to think, all right, so, so it allows us to have conversations that we couldn't have had otherwise. And I always want to, I, I keep on hitting on this conversation word, conversation word, conversation word, because people keep thinking of this as technology and as artificial intelligence. And, and it is all these things and chatbots, and they keep thinking of all of these things. And like, you know, again, plagiarism and replacing our work and automated this and that. If that's what you're thinking, you're using it wrong, right? So I want it, I want to encourage people to keep thinking about this is a way to have a conversation about what you're doing. So first of all, find ways to help automate, reduce. And, and again, this is that's not new. That's when the internet first came about. Tim Ferriss, the four-hour work week and everything else. That All of that was about, hey, we've got this new technology. You can reduce your workload. Work on that. Aside from that, I have, again, conversations. There are ways that you can ask it questions. Like, again, if you're, if you're in HR. You can have a, a mock interview with someone that you want to hire. You can ask the chat GPT, act, act as a recent college graduate with this background, right? Looking for a position in this field. What are, I always like the question eight. And again, I can share some of the curiosity-based thinking processes that I would use here. But then I, I'd say, you know, what are eight questions they might have about, you know, what, what are eight questions I should ask them, Right. And then you could have those questions. They say, what, what might this person, how might this person respond to it? And then you could say, all right, tell me more about this. Or, so you could use it, one, you could have a conversation with it to understand the person you're going to interview before you interview them. It, it's a great partner, like you said, you know, especially in the research and exploratory space. Um, I've, I've come to find ChatGPT as a really efficient and um, non-dramatic uh research associate if i can you know they, they they give you the starting point to anything and again if you ask it the right questions it will give you very different insights so i've been to your website and you know i loved your approach to questioning questions that started with what ifs i, I love the fact that it sets the stage for ideation you know for the potential of what's to come without being too judgmental and i love using that that form of questioning in, in sales calls or in meetings as well. So there was research done before, like in a sales setting, you know, people in, who 
explore further with more questions in the sales call tend to be more successful, right? What's your take on people who are not asking the, the questions? Is it, are the barriers due to a lack of curiosity? Are they not asking the right questions even though they are curious? And I think that's where the empathizer comes in because sometimes people get curious but don't really know how to relate. You stole the words right out of my mouth. I, it is, it, it's a lack of curiosity, but it's a lack of curiosity directly related to a lack of empathy. It, it, it really is because, it, and not even that you're a non-empathetic person or not even that you're really deficient in empathy, but it does mean that you're not a, you're not a superstar in empathy. You're not like a suit. You know, and if you can, if you can have that above average empathy, you're going to be curious. It'll drive your curiosity, right? Because think about what empathy is. It's truly wanting to know, right? What someone else is thinking, feeling, experiencing, everything else. Well, access to what they're thinking, feeling is access is driven by curiosity. You can't, that's how you gain access to it, right? So there's, it's, it's deeply connected. If you can tell somebody, hey, you, if you work on you, you, being a little more empathetic and not even judgmentally or saying that like, you're not empathetic, you know, blah, blah, blah. If you can just provide them, encourage them with different tools to be more empathetic or encourage them, you know, I think that curiosity will, will emerge from it. Yeah, the, the, I can't imagine them. I can't someone, I can't imagine someone being empathetic and not curious or curious and not empathetic. I, I can't, I, they're, I, I, they're two different things, but they're, you know, it's like 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 in an atom, right? Like you got the protons and the nu- or the the neutrons, yeah, the electrons are flying around. But like they're in the nucleus, they're connected together. They're two different things, but they really make up this kind of core. Awesome. That's that's a great example. So last but not least, um, what does the term rebel curiosities mean to you? Rebel curiosity. So so one, of course, curiosity. We know that's going to be individual, right? but rebel curiosity is is to me it means to be to to be curious with purpose, right? To don't just like because that's what rebels are right? you're rebelling against something yeah it's like hey this is broken it needs to be different like you know how do we challenge the status quo and be you know rebel curiosity that's what it's all about it's not you know again it's not being curious for no purpose just looking up at the clouds going, oh, i wonder you know it's none of this it's 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 curiosity with purpose and it seems like you know whatever you're rebelling against use curiosity as as a force yeah, I'm not all Star Wars. I'm talking about the rebels in the force. But use use curiosity as a force to 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 power your rebellion, right? To guide your rebellion, to to inform your rebellion. I think it's I think it's a cool combination of words. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you liked the episode, please subscribe or share your comments. And to anyone else who may like listening to this, I'm a curious marketer by day and a rebel at heart for a transforming status quo at all other times. I work closely with Curious Rebels to drive change and radical results in their vision for work. If you'd like to have a chat, drop me a note at pearl at rebelcuriosities.com. Till then, stay curious, take care. Mm-hmm.